Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got another episode of Gear Therapy for you, and this time around, we're really focused on ski quiver questions, namely, what to keep and what to sell. And we've also got a great guest for you today. We've got Blister member Giovanni Saccarola. That name is certainly fun to pronounce. As you may have guessed, Giovanni is Italian. He is 30 years old, but he is currently living in Zurich, Switzerland, and also working in Zurich. He is also a former ski racer, and I'm pretty sure he's smarter than all of us, though he's really nice. But yeah, as you'll hear us say, the dude is like literally out there creating the future. So you'll hear a little bit more about that and his work in a minute here. And just a bit of a reminder here about how our gear therapy sessions work. Well, basically, if you are a Blister member, you are welcome to write us and tell us a bit about some of the questions you have if you would like to make an appearance on Gear 30 and do a therapy session with one of our reviewers. Or if you are a Blister member, you always have the opportunity to send us an email with your gear questions, whether those are about ski equipment or mountain bike gear or running gear. And one of our reviewers will have a back and forth with you and get you sorted out. And so really one of the cool things about these gear therapy episodes is it gives you a bit of a sense of some of the questions we're going to ask. You'll see a bit of our decision-making and ultimately then you get to kind of see how we arrive at the recommendations that we do arrive at. So obviously and sadly, we cannot have these gear therapy sessions with every single Blister member. There are many of you out there. But if you have been wondering what we talk about when we say that Blister members can get our personalized gear recommendations, well, it kind of looks like one of these gear therapy sessions. So become a Blister member and shoot us your questions and go live happily ever after. Now, one other thing I want to say at the top of this episode, if you listened to our last Reviewing the News episode over on our Blister podcast that I did with Cody Townsend, you will know that for reasons that really don't actually make a ton of sense, I really am hell-bent on getting on a snowboard this year. But we made a deal, folks. We had a pact. This is a team effort here. The whole thing was... I was going to get on a snowboard if and when you, dear Gear 30 listeners, got us to 750 reviews of Gear 30 in Apple Podcasts. Now, I've said this before. We have far, far more listeners than 750 folks. So I know many of you have listened to way more than five episodes of Gear 30 without leaving a rating or review. And so we're mobilizing the whole crew now. This is time. As Cody put it, it's time for me to go break both of my wrists at the same time. And you know, when you have Blister Plus injury insurance, even though having two broken wrists at the same time sounds really bad... The fact that it will cost me zero dollars for, you know, the emergency room trip and the potential surgeries seems like a real silver lining there. So anyway, I've got a plan on how I'm going to attack this whole snowboarding thing, but I'm not going to do this unless you all get us across the finish line. So let's make this happen. Do it for the wrists, the broken wrists. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Bag Balm who is also the sponsor of the backcountry program of our Blister Summit. By the way, that would be a really good occasion for me to get out on a snowboard. Because, okay, I'll share with you, my whole strategy here is I am not getting on a snowboard on rock-hard conditions. I want soft, forgiving conditions, And where better to find that than in the backcountry? So, yeah. 
split boarding at the Blister Summit. This, okay, the wheels are turning. Anyway, the backcountry program of our Blister Summit allows Summit attendees to go on guided backcountry tours with professional local guides. Each tour is approximately three to four hours long, and groups will be created based on your backcountry experience, your speed, and your skill level. And so given that, we are able to invite everyone from never-evers to very experienced backcountry skiers and riders to join us on these tours. And you will also have the chance then to test the latest backcountry products from brands like Ordovox, BCA, Forefront, DinaFit, Wonder Alpine, and many more. And when you're out there, don't forget to bring along some bag balm to help soothe chapped lips, dry skin, reduce chafing, and more. And especially if you are going to be out in some new touring boots, well, then you should follow my pro tip and apply just a bit of bag balm on your heels, or in my case, it's always the inside of my heels, and that works wonders for me. Our next Blister Summit happens February 4th through the 8th, 2024, and it all takes place right here in our Blister headquarters of Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. So register today via our website or the link in the show notes of this episode. Now, this episode of Gear 30 is also presented by Open Snow. Open Snow is our favorite weather app out there, and it is an app used by professionals like Cody Townsend and Chris Davenport. And while I know each of us are sitting there thinking, Cody and Dav, how are you even pro skiers? We are all so much better than you. Well, the fact is, if they rely on open snow for their weather information, you and I are probably wise to do the same. In fact, it has been my go-to weather app for years. Luke Kappa and many of our Blister crew also uses open snow. And now you can use open snow and get a free trial by going to opensnow.com slash blister. You can sign up without having to enter any credit card information, and you can get a free trial and check out all the features that come with Open Snow. And that free trial goes through the end of January 2024. So head over to opensnow.com/blister and see for yourself why our Blister reviewers and even intermediates like a Cody Townsend and Chris Davenport why they trust open snow. And with that, let's do a little gear therapy with Luke Kappa and Blister member Giovanni Saccarola. That's so fun to say. Here we go. Well, Giovanni, how are you today and where are you today? Uh, yeah. Uh, hi, Jonathan. I'm good today and I'm at home in Switzerland today in Zurich. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, Luke Kappa is maybe doing less well because we have had a kind of back and forth, a uh, little bit of a hectic morning here in Crested Butte, but but now we're doing better. We are more focused and we're happy to be talking with you today. And we should say, you know, right off the bat, so you are in Switzerland, but you are Italian and grew up in you know, the best country in the world. Apologies to Switzerland. Is, do I have this right? Yes, exactly. I grew up uh, um, in Mestre, which is just on the mainland of Venice. And uh, I learned to ski in the Dolomites that are about a two hours drive away uh, because my family had a vacation apartment there. So I spent a lot of time there. In summer, I would usually spend three months, and in winter, uh, pretty much every weekend, plus uh, long Christmas holidays, around two weeks, plus maybe some other ski vacations. Got it. And just tell us a little bit more about your kind of ski trajectory. Do I have it? You're 30 years old? Yes, that's correct. Yep. And so have been... 
skiing kind of a similar number of days since you were uh, a kid or have been skiing more these days? What does that look like for you? So I started, uh, I guess, at four. But uh, yeah, of course, I don't remember how many days I, <laughs> I was skiing at the very beginning. But uh, um, around seven, I started uh, uh, racing uh, and training for racing. So I guess at that time, I was skiing uh, uh, a minimum of around 30 days per season. Mm -hmm. And then uh, um, I was not always super constant. Uh, if I remember correctly, around uh, 11, uh, I stopped racing until 14. And then uh, uh, again, uh, I was race alpine racing uh, from 14 till 16, 17. I basically stopped when it was time to do uh, fist racing because uh, at some point you realize, oh yeah, I'm not gonna go to the World Cup. So I think it's not worth putting so much effort into this. Huh. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, uh, I've always been uh, skiing a lot, but uh, um, until uh, three seasons ago, uh, my main focus was uh, piece skiing. I basically only owned a pair of GS piece skis. Huh. So, yeah, I, I was, uh, I would say, in a very small niche of skiing. And then um, uh, three years ago, uh, a friend invited me touring, so I started touring uh, and then free riding also a lot more. And so when did Blister get on your radar? Ooh, I guess around uh, two years ago, uh, because yeah, uh, like I bought my first pair of uh, backcountry skis. They were a pair of um, Blizzard uh, Zero G95, mm -hmm. which uh, I think were great skis, but I realized, hmm, am I, I am doing quite a lot of effort to go up, but they are not that fun to ski down at high speed. I think they were, like, in my opinion, great for carving in the, in the slopes and the, on groomers, but uh, not that much fun at speed uh, of beast. And at that point, I, I started uh, looking around uh, for, yeah, more fun uh, skis. Okay. And then you met this individual on the internet named Sexy Luke, and you just thought, I've, I've arrived. I've found, I've found home. Yeah. I mean, in some way, like, with everything, uh, every sport I did, I was always a lot into gear. Like, uh, uh, like, um, I mean, we will get to it, but that's why I have many pair of skis. It's the same with climbing equipment. I have a lot and from very different brands and uh, type because I like to see in the long term, is this better or that better? And ideally, I would like at some point to get to a perfect quiver of skis or climbing gear or everything. But I think that's impossible because new gear comes out uh, every year and then it's hard to keep up. Hard to keep up. That's for sure. Hey, and tell us a little bit more about, so you've talked about ski racing, you've talked about ski touring, you just mentioned free ride and climbing. What are your kind of primary sports or activities these days? Because we've also, before we started recording, talked a little bit, a little bit about biking too. Yes. So... Uh, yeah, biking, like uh, I used to um, do a lot of road cycling, now not so much anymore. I lost a little bit of interest because I think I met way more uh, interesting people climbing. So, and uh, I kind of like to be at a decent level in what I do. So I decided to uh, focus mainly on uh, rock climbing and the skiing. So I, I split my time between this. While growing up, it was mainly sailing most of the year and the skiing in winter. Luke, I think we might be talking to potentially the world's most interesting person right now. <laughs> because Definitely up there. Yeah, you're kind of getting up there. Um, and when you say climbing these days, I'm guessing you mean 
trad climbing or no, sport climbing? Only. Yeah, it's okay. uh, sport climbing. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, mainly interested in sport climbing. Okay. And to help people understand more why I'm claiming potential world's most interesting person, can you say a little bit about your job? Because I can't even... I. I don't have the words to sort of, I asked you this and I had to ask you to repeat it. So, um, you know, for those of us who have a, you know, kind of comprehension at a fifth grade level, what is it you do for a living? So, yeah, I work uh, as an engineer in this company that makes uh, photolithography equipment. So these are uh, machines that are uh, used to make a very small structure on wafers. It's kind of the same that you use to make chips, but our application is in photonics or so related to optics. And uh, uh, our main application is waveguides for AR and VR. Like that's we sell our machine to. Got it. AR, VR, and AR, VR goggles. Yes. Yeah, correct. specifically. So, yeah, listeners, you might be able to think briefly of. Where have you heard of or seen AR VR goggles and who's selling those? Um, so anyway, when he's not out there climbing or ski touring or free riding, Giovanni is out there building the future, basically. I think that's I think that's where we're at. So um anyway, nevertheless, he still could use some help figuring out a ski quiver, which is why he reached out. To us, and so Luke, I do feel like the pressure's on here uh, for us, like to not screw this up. But I think before we dive into your current set of skis, one of the things that might be helpful is actually to—it's always sometimes helpful for us when we're talking to Blister members about what equipment has worked well for them and what hasn't. And since you mentioned the Blizzard Zero G ninety-five, um. I'd, I'd love to stay on that for a second until we go move into your current quiver, because for me, one, I mean, this was some years ago since I really was spending time on that ski. I very much liked it on the uphill. I do think a number of other touring skis have caught up with that ski in terms of the, the weight, just the sheer weight of it. Um, I agree with you that on a clean groomer, it is a quite nice carver but i also am with you that i mean as is well known i personally like just a heavier more substantial ski for downhill off-piste skiing um and i i want to then hear you talk a little bit more about where i mean because there are certainly now a lot of lighter ski options for going uphill but what it was about the performance of that ski and again, you've already said former racer here, which is always something I think worth keeping in mind. But talk a little bit about that Zero G95 and, and what didn't quite click for you with that ski. So uh, I felt that uh, the ski was uh, a little bit too appeal-oriented. Like, there wasn't, uh, um, like, it wasn't floating as much as I would have liked to when you find soft snow, mm -hmm. which is mainly the reason I tour for. Uh, like, uh, I like to tour for the descent. I mean, I am sometimes with a group that uh, likes to go to the summit at all costs, and I accept that. But my main goal is to uh, ski something interesting that uh, cannot be accessed in any other way. And uh, I found that, yeah, this was, uh, there was nothing wrong with it, but it was not what I was looking for to having uh, fun while skiing down. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why my next uh, ski that I purchased was the uh, 2021 Black Rose Atris. Uh, that was a little bit inspired uh, by seeing uh, Nikolai Schirmer and his videos on YouTube. And I think having that with pin binding uh, was quite a good setup. So that's but, what you went to. You went to a yeah. Black Crow's Atris with a pin binding. Yes, exactly. Okay. Right after the Zero G. And yes. then how did that work out for you? Yes, I think uh, with that, uh, it was uh, really good. 
and uh, I've been uh, using the. It was my main skis for two seasons, but I think they are quite trash right now, and I, I still have them, but only as rock skis. I think they needed quite a few base grinds, and uh, I, I can feel that there was a change in flex uh, during this time. So uh, I think they are uh, yeah, a, a little bit uh, past their best. And um, yeah, so now I have the new version uh, of the Black Rose Atris, which is slightly narrower as my daily driver, let's say, when touring. And I think this is a really good ski that I like. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I've uh, expanded on the quiver uh, with many other skis. Uh, among which uh, the uh, Black Rose Anima, always with pin bindings. And these were my main skis uh, for my trip to Norway last season. Hmm. I spent uh, two weeks there and 10 uh, skiing days, uh, all of them uh, with the Anima. So I have no trouble touring with something heavy because I think I've done in a single day up to 1,600 meter on the Anima with pin binding, which I don't know it translates to feet, I guess. Uh, Substantial. Substantial, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so this is um, the ski that I now bring. If I know I'm going to ski something fast and interesting. Yes. And then uh, last season, I also... Uh, bought uh, uh, a pair of Black Cross Nota with um, uh, this time with Duke uh, uh, yeah Marker Duke uh, PTs because as the way I think now is that I would like uh, skis with touring capabilities even if not the most efficient but uh, I don't see why I should have a very wide ski without any touring capability. And uh, I bought this because I was planning to go to Japan uh, last season, but I had to cancel. Uh, because you were busy inventing the future? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah like let's a... say it was yeah, work-related. It didn't work very well with the timing. So, uh, yeah, that's why I shifted my trip from Japan to Norway. And Norway is in season a bit later, so that worked well. Yes. Uh, um, so yeah, this uh, they didn't see so much use. And then uh, yeah, I bought a used pair of uh, Faction Prodigy 1.0 that I used to learn a little bit of freestyle. At that, I'm still a very begin, uh, very much a beginner. Yeah. And then uh, there are the, uh, two new uh, addition from uh, this season that I still haven't tried, and those are the one that. Uh, I'd like to keep for at least one season. At the end of this season, everything is up for discussion, but this will stay at least for the season. And those uh, are the um, Rossignol Sender Free 110 and the uh, 1000 Ski Park. 1000 Ski Park. And yeah. by the way, we are going to put in the show notes of this episode all the skis that we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, yes. One thing I do want to do, though, we talked about you're 30 years old. Um, Italian guy grew up racing, um, mm -hmm. now in Switzerland, pretty heavy emphasis on touring. Um, yes. and, but your height and weight, we should tell people that to help kind of orient folks. Um, yes. You, yes. So I'm 182 centimeters, which I guess is 511 or six. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, depending on which moment but during ski seasons i'm usually between 72 and 75 kilos which i guess it's 160 to 165 pounds okay so about yeah 182 centimeters or 511 six feet tall 72 to 75 kilos 160 to 165 pounds and we we haven't talked about lengths but um you are skewing toward the longer end of things um so your your black crows nocta 190.6 centimeter long i always love black crows with their 0.6 stuff um so he's on the 190 or 191 nocta your anima anima is your black crows anima 194 
You just said the Rosignol Sender Free 110, that's the 191. Black Crow's Autris, the 189. That's your Thoroxki. Now the newer Black Crow's Autris, the 190. And your 1000 Skis Park is a 186. So just to help orient people to, you, you're, you're rolling on the longer end of the spectrum. Um, and uh, so that's just worth noting. Yes, I have also demoed shorter skis, but I find that uh, I like long skis. I think this has to do with my racing background, where I was used to really long and uh, rigid GS skis. And for example, uh, like the faction I mentioned, those are already uh, about to be sold, but I still have them. Uh, I They are 176. That's right. The Prodigy 1.0 is a 176. Yes. and. Yes, correct. And this feels way too short. I, I like it doesn't happen that often, but I have the impression that I'm about to fall on my face uh, mm-hmm. every time I ski them. So it's a fun feeling, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Just poke, smash your eyeballs out on the tips of your skis. It's always what I envision. Um, okay. Um, I want to have so one notable thing here. Is you're 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 moving the faction prodigies, and so looking at the rest of your quiver, the only dedicated alpine binding you have are a pair of marker jesters on the 1000 skis park. So the, everything else is either uh, an ATK free raider pin binding. You mentioned the Marker Duke PT-16 that's on the Nocta. And then you've got um, a look pivot with cast conversion on the Razi Sender Free 110. So you've already said you don't want to have an, a, a dedicated Alpine binding. You want to have the option to, to tour on everything you've got. So that's part of our criteria here, right? Yes, I would say so. And then one, one more question in this quiver... Former racer, no carving ski, no dedicated carver. What's going on? You're European. We thought you guys never left, never left the piste. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, uh, the way I see it now, I like to stay on piste only for uh, if I go skiing as a social thing or, yeah, I guess you could include it in a social thing. It's usually uh, when I go skiing with my father. My father is still a passionate skier, but uh, he only skis on piste. And so that's why I might uh, get a pair of uh, carving skis, but I'm not sure if the number of days on them would uh, justify them. Okay. And you are looking to reduce this quiver. So you currently have seven skis. You've said that because the Prodigy 1.0 is too short, that one is moving out. So we're down to six skis here and you're trying, you don't want to, you're not looking to add skis to this, are you? Or are you open to that? Or are you just asking for Luke and me to help you get rid of two skis in this quiver? Well, like it could also be that I decide to sell all of them and then you can suggest uh, two three <laughs> okay. new ones and those are the best option. Okay, we can. So we- I, I, I'm open also to that option. Yes, as I mentioned, uh, like I still haven't tried the uh, 1000 skis and the Rossignol Sender Free. So this I will keep at least uh, for one season. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask one last question and then I'm going to kick it to Luke and see where he wants to go. But talk a little bit about, because you've, you have ATK Free Raiders um, on three skis currently. Um, We've been pretty big fans of those bindings, but curious to hear what your opinion has been. Um, how have those worked out for you? So uh, maybe I should uh, say that I'm very, very good at breaking bindings. On average, <laughs> I break one pair per season. Dear Lord. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, if if someone is interested in buying them, I can say that the, the Faction Prodigy have very new bindings because uh, they were a warranty claim. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, I really have been loving uh, ATKs. I haven't tried much else, at least not long term. Maybe on some demo skis, I tried something different. But uh, I'm overall really happy. Like I think they they work really well. So uh, I didn't see any reason to go look anywhere else. And I also found that their uh, customer service was really good when I had trouble with them. I I was in contact directly with uh, Davide. Yeah, I think he's the main guy there, yep. and he, he sorted me out with every trouble I had. When we start getting into the lighter end of the gear spectrum, and and again, I I do like I I think it is always interesting when we talk about people coming from a race background where they're used to very heavy gear and typically as a stereotype pushing gear pretty hard how well people adjust over to very lightweight bindings and um if you're finding specifically talking about the feel of the downhill performance you know how how well you're getting along with something like that or how much you feel like there is a big compromise in terms of performance. Um, those are just things that I always find pretty interesting to ask folks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I don't have such a strong uh, opinion about the difference, like from a feeling perspective, because I think that uh, as long as you have retention, it's uh, it's good. What uh, what limits me and scares me is on art pack when you start to feel the skilling uh, the skis uh, vibrating a little bit that I, I it's always through my mind is this gonna hold is this gonna hold because uh, like uh, most of my ski crashes have been pre-releases so that's uh, what worries me the most at some point and so far pretty good experience in terms of avoiding pre-releases with your ATKs or overall yes I, I had a couple uh, uh, of them but it was yeah on art pack uh, like that yep I, I typically don't want to ski at high speed so I think for my use case uh, they are not that bad okay Luke I asked a lot of questions your turn um well Fortunately for us, you already outlined a bit of how you're going about thinking about the new four ski version of your quiver with one, a touring ski that is focused on the descent rather than the the ascent, kind of a a do-it-all touring ski, if I understand correctly. And then two, a free ride ski for sending with alpine or hybrid bindings, so something burlier, even more descending oriented. And three a playful or surfy powder ski to be used in mellow terrain after storms when the avalanche danger is high. And then four freestyle skis to learn tricks uh, like jumps and butters, but no interest in rails. I think looking at that outline, part of this seems very straightforward to me. Parts are a little bit more open. Um, But I think what I would want to start with is the first one you listed, the kind of touring the generalist touring ski which in the past has been uh that black rose atris and i i think it makes sense that you've been liking it in that role and i don't see much reason to shift away from it because it's kind of already been serving that role for you unless you have some specific things that you've found yourself wishing that it did better or disliking about it but if if you have just kind of like been enjoying using that ski for uh kind of every average touring day you do then i would probably just stick with it yeah so i overall i have no complaints over that like i'm always curious to try something else so if you have in mind something that could be uh, a rival to that that i should try I'm happy to, but I would be happy to keep that one as the main touring ski. Yeah, I think that's, especially that kind of category of ski, like mid-100s width uh, in a 180, like a smaller size of 184, we're talking around 2,000 grams. It's not super stiff. It's not super soft. It's not crazy rockered. It's not fully cambered. Like 
that kind of generalist category, there are a ton of good options, but it's also, it's not like you're asking something super specific of the ski. Like if you're like, I love the Atris, but I wish it was better at making short radius carves, or I wish it floated better in deep snow. I'd have a bunch of different skis I would point you towards, but in that generalist category, there's, there's so many that do a lot of things pretty well. And so I don't, I don't see any, any clear reason to shift away from it unless this season, especially as you kind of start spending time with your new revised quiver, maybe certain things pop up. You're like, oh, I'm actually using the actress a lot more on deep days or carving in the resort um, when I'm skiing with my family, then we might start looking at different options. But as of right now, that one kind of seems like the most straightforward just stick with the ski you've got. It, it's been doing its job well so far. Yeah, I think that makes good sense. I am kind of curious, Luke, when Giovanni is like, well, w- we get this a lot, the, like, the, the curiosity curse. I just invented that on the spot. I kind of like it, trademark. But it's like, well, I, I like the Atris, but I'm always curious about, to use your term, Giovanni, the rivals. What skier to right now, Luke, would you say performs closest to the Atris? Hmm. Closest overall, I wouldn't say there's 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 not some ski where I'm like, you could pick either of these and your your experience would be the same. Yeah. Um, like some that come to mind, like the let's see. This is a bit of a stretch. Like the Rosinal Sender 104 Ti is a much more precise, carving-oriented, slightly more directional flex pattern ski. Um, the Elan Ripstick 106 is kind of same category, also more directional, more carving-oriented, not as playful. Uh, the Moment Deathwish 104 uh, is kind of the opposite side, more freestyle-oriented, yeah. more a bit more biased towards a centered stance. Uh, but also probably I'd say more maneuverable a little bit in softer snow. It doesn't carve quite as well. Uh, you got the blizzard rustler 10. That's especially the latest version, more precise, not as maneuverable and forgiving. Um, Maybe not as good of a pow ski. Yeah, probably not, not quite as good overall, but ever since they just got narrower, I'd, I'd say that difference isn't quite as extreme. Um, RMU apostle one Oh six is like a softer, surfier Atris kind of. Um, but yeah, they, they all share some similarities. They're all pretty close in terms of a lot of different specs, but all cater to slightly, slightly different preferences. Yeah, so I, I think I'm quite sorted out for with that one. Like, I, like, yeah, as you mentioned, there is no very good reason to change it. I will demo something in case uh, I have the occasion, but I'm happy to keep it. Okay. So, to be clear, we know we're keeping the Razi Sender 110. We know we've got the Thousand Skis Park. We know we've got the Atris. That's staying put. And so, Luke, for the fourth ski, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think it's... The ones that I was thinking about the most was was the the free ride ski for aggressive skiing and then the powder oriented ski. I think there's potential for those to overlap. Like I think the um the center free one ten seems like the obvious choice for the the ski where you're gonna be skiing fast, skiing bigger terrain, less concerned about weight. Um obviously the X factor is that of that is that you haven't skied it, but I imagine based on what you said about the anima, you could probably get along with that ski well. I think it fits that role in general very well. It's a very strong, damp, stable ski that's also um, pretty freestyle oriented and kind of aligns with some of the skis you've been on lately. Uh, So that I think considering we're keeping that, that serves the role of the the sending slash freeride ski. And then for the powder ski, kind of choosing between the Nocta and the Anima, since you mentioned 
lower angle, mellower terrain, high avalanche danger days. I'm definitely leaning towards the Nocta. It's a fatter ski. It's a lighter ski. Um, it's built more for deep pow and has a design that I think just is going to cater to deeper snow and mellower terrain better. I think you could keep the anima in there, but I think pair, when paired with the sender free 110, there's I think there's a lot more overlap with yep. the anima and sender than the sender and nocta. And to me, like I haven't skied the nocta, but on paper, it seems like a pretty ideal option for deeper snow and especially deeper snow and maybe not as uh, steep and gnarly terrain as you'd be using the the sender or the atrus for. What do you think, Giovanni? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a little bit torn because uh, I really like the anima, but uh, until I ski the sender free, I think the decision is difficult to make. I think if I decide to uh, keep the anima over the Rossi, I should probably change the bindings because um, for uh, also resort use, like uh, for riding in the resort, I think the ATK might be a bit too lightweight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, uh, at this point for me, it's difficult to make a decision without having trying uh, a sender free yet. By the way, I think one big question here we should probably talk about is mount points, right? Have you mounted the the Razi sender free yet? Yes, so the, they are already mounted. Okay. And they are on recommended, which I guess is minus 3.5 from your center. Yeah, I mean, that's that's we're opening up a whole can of worms here, but I don't know. What do you think, Luke? Thoughts on that ski at recommended versus backed up? Um, yeah, I the way I think about this one, like as we with the the criteria we have so far, I'm saying yeah, try the sender free as the charging ski, knocked as the pow ski. Potentially get rid of the anima. I wouldn't do that right away by any means. I would definitely wait to try the sender free one ten, and potentially if you aren't getting along with it on the recommended line then I think it would be worth trying it mounted one or two centimeters back from recommended if you're not liking it. If you're finding that you don't get enough support from the front of the ski, you can't drive it hard enough. Um, I don't think on that ski, changing that mount point changes it drastically, uh, but it does make a difference, especially for people who are coming from skis with, like you are, mount points around minus six or so from True Center. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't, I would not get rid of the anima right away by any means, but I would also kind of in your test period with the center free 110, I would be open to remounting it one or two centimeters back from recommended if you're not liking it right away, mounted on recommended. Okay. This, uh, I found a very interesting point because actually almost of the other skis I have, I have been moving the mounting point forward. Oh, okay. I found. I found out that uh, I like them more. Uh, like my uh, main reason to do that is I found out that um, maybe it's the different in angle of the boots or the bindings, but mounting them a little bit forward, I can control much better the um, uh, my weight distribution on tips and tail when going fast in soft snow. Gotcha. So the Atres, I think I moved the mounting point uh, uh, two centimeters forward from recommended. The anima is on recommended, and the nocta also I moved two centimeters forward. Mm. Cool. Well, that makes me less worried. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I would still yeah, it'd be something that I would keep tabs on. Like if if something about the center freeze not clicking, but in that case, I would imagine that it, you have a better chance of uh, having that work well with you than more directional skiers. Well, Giovanni, how is this sounding to you? Are you feeling good about the four ski quiver? What, what other questions are about any of the specific skis do you have? Yes. So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, I think we are pretty set on uh, keeping the Nocta. 
And uh, I wanted to add uh, one of uh, the reasons why I went for that ski when I was looking at the powder ski. And it was because it was a full um, rocker ski, which I never skied before. And I was curious about that. So probably if I would replace that, I would still go for a full rocker ski without any cumber. And you, you did get to use the Nocta a bit last year, is that right? Yes, but uh, we didn't have a very good snow year here in the Alps, so mm-hmm. never in its uh, proper conditions, I would say. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I think I think in that that's another case where I'd want to yeah get it into some properly deep snow or the sort of conditions that you kind of outlined for this slot in your quiver and and see what you think because there are definitely even more pow specific skis that would potentially be even more fun and like really low angle stuff like we could go off the deep end into like reverse side cut reverse camber skis like the armada arg or the heritage lab c132 uh but that's getting like more niche you could also go more generalist um but yeah my uh, what i would do is just hold oh, for i now. mean fingers crossed yeah, <laughs> hopefully yeah. find some deep snow to ski it in Yes, I, I'm thinking about the trip to Japan in February. This time it should work. So I think probably that's the moment <laughs> where I will say, oh, I love this. Or maybe I should uh, look for the next uh, pair of powder skis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the smart money in February is to come to the Blister Summit. <laughs> given our given our track record, I'm knocking on wood because I've just jinxed yeah. us. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's basically... Um, the blister summit in CB outpaces Japan at for snowfall, at least during those, you know, five days or so. So, you know, keep it, keep it in mind. Yeah. Okay. When, I, I have a lot of accumulated vacation from all the business trips. So maybe <laughs> I will think about it. <laughs> Let's right. see how it plays out with work. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I like I like that we're going to start marketing Crested Butte as the absolute powder paradise. That's our new <laughs> for five days a year. Yeah, at least during the summit. So far, um, yeah. Um, well, I think that sounds pretty good. I think I think you're in a pretty good spot with this. Um, I think before we let you go, um, we haven't actually talked ski boots at all, and I know you had a question about liners. So maybe we talk a little bit about that um yeah what yes. what are what's your current boot so yeah I, my current boot is uh, a technica uh, coaches 130 i know that lots of people would say it's very heavy for touring but uh, i find that uh, that's the boot i prefer i prefer a boot uh, a downhill oriented boot I also have a pair of uh, old uh, Zero-G, which I'm not using as much anymore. Sorry, uh, you have a pair of Zero-G, Technica Zero-G boots? Y- yes, but I think uh, I used, I after I got the coaches, I never used them, if I remember correctly. Because? Yes, because uh, I prefer uh, like a more downing oriented boot. Like uh, I, I like the feeling of the coaches much more. And uh, when I got them, I also got uh, a uh, foam injected liner, which uh, uh, I didn't like so much. Like it's fine, but I prefer the laced up original liner. But still, I think uh, coming from a racing background, I like a very tight and precise fit. So uh, I'm considering buying uh, a new liner for uh, this season. And one of the ideas I had in mind was a zip fit liner. But uh, I'm open uh, again to suggestions here. Luke? I think my first question would be, what were the main things that you liked more about the stock liner and the coaches versus the foam injected liner was it mostly related to to fit to uphill comfort to just overall downhill feeling anything that that stood out to you in terms of the differences between the two yes so i feel that i mean this is just an impression but i feel that with the laces the uh, 
ankle pocket a little retention around that area, uh, I could reduce the volume better. On the uh, foam uh, injected liners that don't have any laces, especially on the right foot, uh, I feel that uh, there is too much uh, volume around my ankle. Gotcha. Okay, so even even after the injection process, you're still having a bit too much room and movement around your ankle? Yes. And gotcha. overall, I have quite low volume fit. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, my I kind of thought of three potential options for this. Um, one, you could reach out to your local Technica dealer and see if they are able to order replacement stock liners for that boot. I don't I mean, I might be off. I don't think a lot of companies keep that sort of inventory just because so few people are uh, like in the grand scheme of the ski market. So few people are looking to replace their liners because they don't realize that's the problem. So that's an option Um, might be the most affordable option, but not sure about inventory. Another one um, you could look at uh, other aftermarket liners intuition is kind of intuition and zipfit. I feel like at least over here are the most uh, prominent options from intuition. You'd probably be wanting to look at a pro tour or tour wrap liner. If you want to maintain at least some uh, flexibility around the ankle rather than a fully rigid liner, those uh, I imagine you'd be able to get a pretty tight fit with them because they're yeah, pretty high volume liners that are designed to uh, be heat molded. So your foot, um, compresses the foam and uh, they conform to your foot upside with those generally they're pretty warm they're pretty light uh, downsides not uh, as customizable in the long term as a zip fit in particular not as durable and with that on the zip fit side if you wanted one liner to use for everything i would probably be looking at the gft liner that's kind of their only touring oriented liner the zip fit the zip fit gft yeah it's even though it's their touring liner it's it's a lot beefier than most uh touring liners but the main upside like all the zip fits is you can inject cork into the ankle area and the tongue to take up space and kind of adjust and adapt as they kind of break in over time and i i'm trying to picture and remember the cochise liner but i would say overall the gft is probably a similar area as the cochise's stock liner in terms of how kind of thick and padded it is and how easy it is to move in uh while skinning like i feel like they'd fall into a pretty similar category and so performance wise i suspect it'd be pretty similar but you'd be able to with adding more cork to the ankle pocket area and using the GFT's built-in laces and power strap, I imagine you'd be able to get an even better uh, or more secure fit in the GFT. And I don't think you'd be dealing with significant performance downsides. Jonathan, you have, you've spent more time in the coaches than I have. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, I, this is where it's hard because it just, my feet versus your feet, you know, I have a pretty snug shell fit on my boots. And so I'm still wondering, I've never tried to get a zip fit, uh, GFT in a Cochise 130, but that always to me is a little bit of the question with zip fits. If you have a large enough shell, if you have the volume in the shell to get a zip fit in can be like for many of us, a top choice right i haven't tried that with the coaches if you can get that liner to work with your coaches i mean that coaches is still you know that boot when i first reviewed it i was like this is the first boot i've ever been in that i could consider happily for dedicated alpine use and you know and for touring it's not the world's best touring boot you can go much lighter get more range of motion whatever but that is a boot with a walk mode that is a legit downhill boot, in my opinion. So you would have a relatively heavy setup, but quite a burly setup with, I'd go so far as to say, we're really approaching or hitting on like virtually no compromise in terms of downhill performance, you know? So that would be interesting. But, you know, now what you'd have to do is, I suppose, talk to ZipFit 
see if they'd be willing to get a line or a GFT out to you. Try it. If the fit is there, it might actually be my first choice for what you're talking about. And given that you've already made clear that you're not weight or keeping weight down is not your biggest priority. That's the other thing I want to emphasize, because for a lot of people, I think they would just be like the weight of that setup is not something they might be interested in, but it doesn't seem like you're in that category. Okay, yeah. This sounds like a very good idea. Maybe I should try that. I also have a, a, a different option in mind, and that would be maybe getting uh, a non-touring liner that I can use maybe for short touring from the resort and then keeping the stock liner as the main touring liner. Would you give the same recommendation in that case? Yeah, on, on my end, I would just say then Zipfit Gara or um, one of their non-touring liners, because um, if you don't plan on walking a whole lot in it, I mean, granted, uh, like our editor Kara Williard has toured many seasons in a Zipfit Gara. Uh, it's not the most comfortable thing to do, but it's possible if, if your priorities are aligned with that. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, the yeah, one of their dedicated Alpine boot liners uh, would be the first thing I'd recommend. Um, I I run Agara HV in a Technica Mach 1 um, MV, and I absolutely love that combination. Uh, I do think like I ran their stock liners for a while, but after um, 50 to 75 days, they start to feel a little bit lacking in precision and uh after kind of my first half a season i guess in a zip fit last year i don't uh, see myself changing anytime soon what do you think yeah so i think this might be the even better option for me because for touring i'm pretty happy with uh the stock liner i think uh, like there is nothing wrong with it Maybe I still didn't have enough uh, days on it to consider it completely trashed. So I could uh, still go with uh, a zip fit for when uh, I'm not touring much and then uh, using the stock liner for touring still. And maybe realize uh, this season, okay, stock liner is at the, the end of its life and then I might consider a touring liner as well. Yeah, I think if if you can make it work on your end, kind of at any level when we're thinking about stuff that we're going to be using for both resort or lift access skiing and human powered touring, um, it's like the reason we always recommend, if possible, have an alpine boot, have a touring boot, have touring skis, have alpine skis, but that can go down to any level. So like given what we've just said about the coaches in terms of its performance, having a touring liner and a resort liner could be a, a very good fit for a boot like that. Yep. As a general comment, I specifically don't like to have multiple boots, so I'll try to keep it at once. Such that uh, I don't have troubles. So are these skis set for this boot or mm -hmm. this other boot? And then I can just pick them up in the morning and decide for those. Got it. Yeah, fortunately, it's a lot easier to do that now than it was like five to 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Good point. All right. Well, are we nearing the end of this gear therapy session? Any, any lingering questions here or, and obviously you can hit us up, you know, if we hang up in three minutes and you're like, Oh wait, I forgot to ask about that. But anything else at the moment? No, I think uh, I have a pretty clear uh, idea of how to move uh, forward now. Uh, I might uh, contact you again for a recommendation for my girlfriend because she's going to buy her first pair of touring skis uh. this season. But uh, yeah, I, I want to see first uh, how she skis and then since it will be our first winter together and then I will have a better uh, idea of what uh, in which direction we should go. Gotcha. Okay. So, new girlfriend haven't skied together yet? No. Okay. 
that's gonna be a that might require a different that's a different yeah that's that's that could be more of like mountain town advice Uh, yeah me and cody type of therapy um we could we can we can see about that but uh but that's cool and exciting and uh yeah do listen to you know some of the other mountain town advice episodes because we've talked about this dynamic and uh we we just we we want to put you on the best possible path for success here yes I mean, she's already uh, this year, so that's already a start. Okay. Like, she's not just starting to ski. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, Giovanni, before we let you get back to your evening there in Switzerland, um, you know, we do like to end Gear 30 episodes by talking about sort of sharing crashes and close call anecdotes. Um, do you have either a crash story or a close call story to share with us yes i have an actual crash story okay we like those yes this happened about three years ago while um, road cycling here in switzerland and uh, uh, it was kind of a stupid crash because um, i was on a descent where um with my road bike uh, um going uh, i actually don't know which speed but at a reasonable sustained speed and uh, on um i was turning to the left and i start uh, i started to feel my back wheel sliding and at that point i managed to start to brake i even managed to put uh, a foot down to slow down but in all of this process uh, um I twisted the handlebar and basically catapulted myself on my back. I took, I didn't have any scratch. The bike was in perfect state, but I took the, all the impact in my lower back. I managed to stand up, put myself and the bike in the grass to the side of the road, and then I wasn't able to move from there. So, uh, yeah, police arrived, uh, ambulance arrived. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was taken to the hospital. Luckily, nothing broken. Lots of pain for over a month. Uh, but yeah, no long-term consequences. And like uh, the real good thing is that uh, here in Switzerland, uh, you're uh, covered uh, by your employer with accident insurance, even for accidents that happen uh, outside the uh, work time. So I didn't have to pay anything out of pocket, but uh, I know that uh, you have uh, a good case uh, to mention your uh, Blister Plus Spot uh, membership here. Yeah, well, first of all, well, so what did you do? What was the injury? Like, uh, I never got the precise uh, diagnosis. Like, at the hospital, they tell me I just took a big impact and they told me, yeah, don't do sports for two days, which was <laughs> way worse than that. Like uh, the, the first week I was basically surviving, like I was just barely able to function to do the bare minimum to survive. And uh, yeah, so I don't have an exact diagnosis of what happened, but I had this um, uh, shooting electrical pain uh, through my lower back every time I did a uh, wrong movement, and that went away in one, one and a half months. Okay. Wow. Well, glad to hear that apparently no lingering effects from that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. whatsoever. So, yeah. And on the Blister Plus front, this is, I mean, my God, since we've started this, one of the things that we're just trying to do is get everybody really clear on their particular situation. And so apparently if you live in Switzerland and work in Switzerland and you have a road biking accident, hopefully we are safe to say as a generalization, you are likely covered in that instance. Now, if you are an American going over to Switzerland on a road biking trip and this happens, you're probably in a pretty different situation, I'm guessing. But we're still working out and figuring out exactly who is covered or not covered, sort of when and where, you know, and all we can say is with the Blister Plus coverage, you know, if you were 
from, well, if you live in any country and say you're not uh, an employee of a Swiss company, you know you would be covered anywhere in the world that you're riding a bike, whether road biking, gravel riding, mountain biking, and you can just eliminate any confusion or question about am I covered or not, right? And that's that's one of the things that we're still trying to communicate that messaging about. It's funny where we are seeing a lot more nuance is when it comes to evacuations, right? So where an ambulance ride is required or a heli evacuation is required. What I'm learning is that, you know, as we sometimes tend to lump Europe into one sort of thing, it's maybe not quite so clear. And some of the available options out there, maybe they're not all created equal. And so we're going to keep digging in and um, trying to report because, again, our mission here is just for everybody to be crystal clear on where they're covered and where they're not and where they might end up getting caught with a very heavy, uh, very heavy bill. So anyway, in in your situation, I guess good news is month and a half later, no more shooting electric pain up your back. And two, you were covered in that situation. So yeah, you know, bravo. We're going to call that a success story. Yes, I think, yeah, I'm in a privileged position from that point of view hmm. here in Switzerland. Good job, Switzerland. You know, you might, you might not be my favorite country, in, in part maybe because I've never been there yet. So I, I want to change that. But, you know, you might not yet be my favorite country, but good job taking care of Giovanni in this particular instance. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, we should let you get going. But hey, this has been fun. And uh, it's great to talk in person. And uh, it sounds like you're putting together a very cool life for yourself. You know, but we do hope that at some point you come see us in Crested Butte. I will at some point try to get over to Switzerland and maybe we can link up there. But one way or the other, I hope, hope maybe we can make some turns in person. Yes, for sure. I definitely hope for that too. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. Um, thanks for uh, this session of Gear Therapy. Uh, folks, if you're a Blister member and would like to spend some time with me and Luke or Kara and Kristen or some of the folks on our team, uh, shoot us a note and uh, we're going to keep these little Gear Therapy sessions going because they're pretty fun and hopefully pretty helpful and, and illuminating. So um, yeah, on that, we'll sign off. Thanks, everybody, and talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Luke and Giovanni for a fun conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. But finally, folks, I'm going to remind you again, if you enjoy some or all of these Gear 30 episodes, please take 30 seconds to go leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts. We're close you all collectively can get us across the finish line very quickly here. Let's get to those 750 ratings and let's freaking go down the hill sideways on a board. Let's do this. Then we'll make a crash course video about it. And you and Cody can all laugh at me. Everybody's winning, except probably me. All right, everybody, take care. And we will talk to you again real soon.